It's always a joy for me to see Sunday nights and the good number of people that come out, I guess, to me. I love Sunday nights and seeing people who love to be in God's house and learn, and I pray that tonight would be no different. And uh, so we're going to start out, and as we start tonight, it's going to deal with adult children, which we have a few and uh, trying to work with. And uh, so let's just begin tonight. I'd like to, as we start out, generosity. God owns everything, so I'll invest for eternity what he has given me temporarily. And that actually fits pretty well for several things that I'd like to do tonight. I studied for tonight, and it took a little bit different turn than what I first expected, so I pray that God will use this to encourage us. I'd like to start with just a few statements here. First of all, as you consider our temporal earthly families, I would often say to my kids, especially to my girls, the greatest privilege you will ever have is being part of God's eternal family. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And and I just want to lay that because sometimes as we get involved in the instruction in the family, I don't think we always remind ourselves of this great truth And uh, there's something else that I sort of wanted to say, and I'd like you to sort of consider this. God loves strong earthly families, yet God will never crown, never celebrate the temporary earthly family over his heavenly family. And I want you to think about that. And I say that because sometimes I think we get so involved in this life that the earthly family is the pinnacle. And sometimes we have people that very much want to learn about the family. And sometimes I think we look at the earthly family as the pinnacle. And if God gives that to us, great. And yet I know there are so many broken relationships and broken families, and I thank God for the family he has given me, but I know sometimes people will never enjoy that on earth, and yet that is not where God's focus is. It's the heavenly family that he crowns, and I just want to make sure that we remember that so that the instruction we give, sometimes I think people come to this and you say, you know, I'll go to family instruction, but... I'm never going to arrive. I'd like to encourage every heart that's here because you may never enjoy all the things that a perfect earthly family, if there is such a thing, but there's something far greater than that. I just want to underscore that in our thinking as we go on. Now, several things as we go through. Here's a book that I would like to recommend that I've read, Diane's read, we've reread, we talked to kids, but it's a great book. You never stop being a parent. So even if you don't have adult children yet, if you do, you probably someday will. This book is a great book to have. And uh, just commend it to you. And a number of the comments that we're going to make tonight are going to come out of this book. And so it's just a great encouragement. 
Now, here's just several things that I just want to state as well. There is no book or seminar that contains a foolproof formula to win our kids to the Lord. God alone can save our kids, John 6, 44. The amazing and delightful news is that sometimes he chooses to do so despite our failures in our kids' sinful hearts. And so that's a great thing to consider. Pastor has said that many times as well. Here's some trends just to keep us up to date. Barna Research reports that six out of ten somethings who are involved in church during their teen years have dropped out actively participating in Christian activities. That's true, although there's different reports and they vary. But the good thing about that is I've read different reports that as much as two-thirds come back. And I say that because you may have an adult child that has gone south for a while, and you is it, will it ever happen? Now, there's good reason to have hope here. And so let's keep instructing the way that we do, and then even if they move in a different direction, then I pray that God, by His grace, would allow us to draw them back. There's other things that are interesting within um, our... Uh, this is different. I just want you to get trends. People who were born before 1964, there's a few of us in here, isn't there? <clears throat> tend to define adulthood by certain accomplishments, moving away from home, becoming financially independent, getting married, and starting a family. In 1960, roughly 70% of 30-year-olds had achieved those things. By 2000, fewer than 40% of the 30-year-olds had done the same. I don't say that in any condemning way. I just say that as, as for us to understand the trends in which our world is traveling, it's helpful to know that, okay? There are other trends, but here's one that was stated, and I just want you to think about this, and it'll challenge us as we train our kids. This is a, a theology that often young people are carrying with them as they leave church, and it says this, a God exists, this is what they believe oftentimes, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Good people, good people are ones that, that will head, you know, to heaven when they die. I hope you would say, well, that's not what I believe, and I hope you would say that. I'm just saying that a lot of young people in church are coming away with that type of attitude, so we have work to do. Here's another trend. Single adult population in the U.S. Now think about this for a while. 1950, 22%. 2011, 44%. Today, there are more single adults than married. 
That may not be reflected in this congregation. I say that for a number of reasons here. And there's a lot of reasons. I'm not going to study why that has taken place. How many single adults do we have with us? Could you raise your hand? Look around. I wonder sometimes. Why is it? And I, I already know, I know evangelical churches, as I do reading, <clears throat> evangelical churches do a far better job reaching out to young married people and young families than they do to singles. That's the reading. And I hope maybe that God would, would uh, give us a burden for single adults as we endeavor to try to reach out. Now, just several other things that are comments and I hope this is the way we think, but sometimes I think this is where we're at. If our families turn out right, well then, obviously God is pleased with us, right? Now, I want you to think about this because a lot of times, remember, I said that God will never honor and crown the earthly world, the world earthly family more than the eternal spiritual family. But sometimes I think, we think the highest echelon within our churches is the family that turns out well. God's got to be pleased with them. Is that true? Because sometimes I think we try to replace the Great Commission with this. And I, and I think there's reasons. I think when you think of the world, if they really want to do a good job with their family, they want to make great memories, they want to do a lot of things with their kids, they want to do this and that, and then we as God's people say, well, we want to keep up with that, and we're going after it, and if we can have a happy family, we're there. I applaud great families, but I don't think that's necessarily the goal, and I think we could reach that and still not really please God. Not according to the scriptures. There's some checks on earthly families. Let me just give you a few. Jesus said this as he was questioned, and I won't go into the whole thing. In the resurrection, therefore, and I'm not going to read the whole text, but I think you know the story. Therefore, of the seven whose wife she will she be? She was married to seven different men in the story. For they all had her, but Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Have you ever thought about that? Because sometimes I think, we think, our family is just going to be there together for all eternity. Do you know whose theology that is? It's Mormon theology. Sometimes I think we follow the same thing. It sounds good. That's not the way heaven. In fact, God has something better. God has something better than that. And I just think that sometimes we're earthly enough that we don't. Here's another one. But he replied to the man who told him. This is Jesus being questioned about his own family. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, notice, and sister and mother. 
He puts a check on the earthly family. One, they're not going to be on there forever. Two, he's not going to even honor his own family above others. I think we need to listen to some of the things that Jesus is trying to teach us here about the earthly family because I do think we have Mormon thinking within our brains here and I think it needs to be corrected. Amen. Here's another. So is your family staying together? Your true family, your family in Christ, which you value more than any family on earth, right? Do you? That's where the word of God is going. If that's true, then your family is staying, in, staying together in perfect harmony. You know, as, as I think, and it's interesting to me, um, that we actually should challenge, I mean, cherish our earthly relationships. But here's where I think we get off. This season is Christmas season. So what kind of motion pictures do you get? Well, the great guy meets the great girl, and at the end, they get together, and boy, everything is happy. <laughs> and that's the earth, isn't it? That's the ideal. That's what we're shooting for. And sometimes we sit there and say, well, I got, I, it never happened to me. <laughs> do you know where I think the Bible comes down on this? To me, as you, as you think about this, if you really love God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul, and you want to follow him with all your heart, and you get married, Paul says, you're going to have some troubles here. Because you will have divided interests and so where the world says, oh, perfect harmony, everything's going great, that's what we're shooting for, we have to have that. The Bible says, okay, let me give you the realistic view. If you get married, you're going to struggle. And I actually think if you study 1 Corinthians, when Paul says that, he says it's going to be divided. I think he might have been looking at Peter. I've watched Peter. He has divided interest. And he thanked God for his singleness of interest. Have you ever wondered why in the New Testament it doesn't give you Peter and his wife and the fantastic relationship that they had? Because I think there was strife. Because they wanted to serve God. So, as there's other things here that I think God has for us. And I just want to give an illustration. The relationships with our Lord and those in God's family will be far deeper, more fulfilling than anything you will know in this lifetime. Do you believe that? Earthly family ties will begin to dissipate in the light of this truth. Let me give you an illustration. This is a personal one, Diane. <laughs> In our relationship, you know, and as I get older, I, I start to realize some things, but... Praise the Lord. 
So anyway, here's, here's a phrase, you know, because I'll work on things and sometimes I just haven't had it all together, but sometimes when I get it together, Diane has a phrase. Who are you? <laughs> now, what Diane means by that is, Chuck, you have missed the boat so long. <laughs> You're finally getting it. It's actually, it's actually to me, it is a mild rebuke and a great encouragement. She's trying to say to me, Chuck, you missed it, but wow. It's striving, isn't it? I mean, I'm striving. It's still there. You know what I think is going to happen in heaven? Now, again, just bear with me here as, as we get into the, the eternal place, I think I'll bump into Diane and we'll recognize each other. I do think we'll recognize each other. And uh, we're going to sit down and start to talk. And we're going to talk for hours. And uh, we're going to have a great, enjoyable time. And, and I, I look forward to that. And then, you know, as we, as we get ready to leave and maybe visit with some others, and I don't know if we'll talk about things that we had in the past and how much better it is in this place, or we'll just be so moved by what's going on. But Diane's going to notice something about me. And uh, here's going to be, after we're done talking for a while, here's what she's going to say to me. If I can get it. Wait a minute. What's your name again? <laughs> and I'm going to smile. And I'm going to say, Hi, my name is Chuck. And it has been so, so good to talk with you. The reason she asked that question is she's going to know this guy is so different. He looked like the guy I knew on earth, but he is so different. I'm just telling you, I think sometimes we have it all wrong. I think we think we can achieve this right here, right now. I'm just telling you, I haven't got there, and Diane already knows I'm not going to get there. <laughs> the New Testament commission is make disciples and have godly families. I'm going to just back up because I think I missed one. The American church's motto is build strong families and make disciples if there's time. And sometimes I think we use all of our resources to reach for something we're never going to get. When God says, oh, I love strong families. But you know, think about it, just for a little while, just think about it. Why is it that God never does give us a great picture of a husband and a wife in a perfect relationship? Why don't you find that in scripture? Or if I were to ask you, how many kids did Peter have? How many grandkids did Peter have? How many great sons and brothers teams do you find in the New Testament? And what's the answer you're gonna to give to me? God chose not to put it in there. If I were to ask you, though, hey, how about discipleship relationships? Are there any pictures of that there? Oh, yeah. 
Jesus had 12 disciples and he tells us all about it. Paul had numbers of disciples. He describes that. John had a disciple called Gaius. I'm just saying. Let's put the emphasis where the New Testament. Let's enjoy families. But let's realize that that is not the ultimate goal. It's not the commission. Treasure our families, but treasure God's family more. Treasure our families, but not to the exclusion of obeying God's will. Make disciples. Now, with all of that, then I want to move in to just a few statements as, as we go through. And Diane's going to come in just a few minutes. But let me just read some things again with adult children that I hope we can reflect on. Changing relationships. Our relationships with our adult children changes with age. Whether we like it or not, rather than fighting to maintain control, we should strive to change our relationship from in-control parents to respected friends. That's what you're after. And I hope God grants that grace to you. Some parents have such a hard time doing that, but that's where we're headed. I feel like Diane and I have gotten there with our children to a certain degree. But that's what you're shooting for. That's what you train for. Most parents understand that childhood was designed to be a temporary season of training, a time to equip children to live as wise, independent adults. He does not say that single adults must, he does not say that the single adults must remain single to serve or please parents. He does say that the single adult must remain single to, I'm sorry, he does not say to serve parents. Certainly there is no indication that Paul, though single, was subordinate to his parents. Also, as you consider other passages, um, the, um, Jonathan rightly stood against his father Saul. In other words, they're independent. We want to bring them there. Numbers 30 to 11 recounts the Lord declaring that none of the unbelieving men who were 20 or older would enter the land. This implies that a single 20-year-old adult was of age and responsible to make his own choices in life. Again, that's what we're driving for, and sometimes that's not easy if our children are living on their own, both financially and physically, we may, we have almost no control over the choices they make. Even so, we should seek to develop an open friendship with them so that they will be open to hearing our wise counsel when they ask for it. I'd like to have Diane come at this point and just share a little bit dealing with just the areas that I sort of introduced. My name is Chuck. <laughs> okay. Um, Chuck wanted me just to share some things, and this is mainly um, words of encouragement to moms. But uh, when I was at a conference a few years ago, the speaker was talking about rearing children, and as he addressed um, rebellious children, he asked us all to open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, which says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. 
God, the perfect father, had rebellious children. Mm. None of us are perfect parents, and we never will be. But obviously, not all rebellion is connected to parenting, because God, the perfect father, had rebellious children. And they're going to be difficult times with children. I remember when Pat and Marilyn shared about the difficulties they were going through when John and Daniel um, were younger. And something that Pat said, I adopted then and I still pray for my children, dear Lord, in their struggles, help them turn to you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I pray for my kids in good times and in bad. But to try to be somewhat practical, and this is mainly to moms, um, our children will always be our children. And it's really tempting to see them as five when they're really 25. And it's not helpful to them. Where I work, uh, I listen to people on the phone all day long. (laughs) And um, a lot of times, people will call in to make payments um, for other people that are going through difficult times. A lot of time, it's family members. Um, in some cases, and in this case, it's always been the moms, not the dads, will call in to make payments for their adult children. And sometimes, you know, they're just getting started, they've just, you know, but sometimes during the conversation, I can tell from listening to this mom that the child is an able-bodied adult. One day during one of these conversations about, we'll call him Billy, I looked over at the birth date and saw that Billy's 40 years old. And I thought, why should Billy ever adult and pay his own bills when Mama will do it for him? We're not helping. We know we want to help, but come alongside, encourage. But, you know, and I was thinking, I was feeling pretty good. I don't do that for my kids. And then God, in his kindness, brought back to mind a time when one of my girls was in college. And um, she was struggling, going through some difficulty. And she said, hey, Mom, could you go talk to the dean of women about this for me? She's 19, she's having a rough time, of course I'll do that. So I go over and I talk to the dean, and somewhere during the conversation she said, so why is it that you're here talking to me instead of your daughter? As Pastor Pat would say, boom. (laughs) Didn't even cross my mind until she said that. I'm not really helping. I'm enabling her not to grow up. And so we want to do that. We want to encourage, we want to help but we don't want to do for them what they should be doing uh, for themselves. Um, But Chuck wanted me to talk a little bit about talking to our kids. Um, You're gonna find with young adults, especially the younger young adults, that they'll wanna talk to you usually after 11 p.m. at night. (laughs) Just the way it goes, and I'm normally up later, but in the, especially a few years ago, I would be getting ready for bed about midnight and I'd hear my phone ding and I'd look over, you awake? (laughs) Yep, I am. (laughs) You know, the opportunities that we have when they want to talk to us and are asking for conversation, it's worth it. And you know, I'm gonna tell you, there are times when at the end of the conversation, it was good and it's, yes, thank you, God, that was great. And then there are those conversations that end, like Paul Tripp mentioned, with, after one conversation he had with one of his sons. He said he sat on the side of the bed and prayed his most theological prayer ever. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And really, um, that's the point. Jesus, help me. You know, uh, People who know me know I love books. Um, I saw a t-shirt this week that says, it's not hoarding if it's books. <laughs> 
Um, but seriously, book or author, you know, it, it doesn't matter. If they don't, if the book doesn't point you back to your hope in the gospel, it's just self-help. That's one of the reasons I like the book that Chuck mentioned. All throughout it, it's going to say, but your hope as a parent is the same hope you want for your children. It's in the gospel. It's in what God has already done, not in what you do. Um, one of my favorite authors also said, we don't need self-help. We can't use it. We need other help. We need a savior. Um, it isn't that we don't have work to do. Our current women's Bible study is on Colossians, and in chapter one, Paul talks about his ministry, the work, but also who empowers the work. Verses 28 and 29 say, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. God, in his mercy and love, teaches us that in all ages and stages of life, he is our hope. And that's the hope that we give our children. Thank you. Thank you much. You know, there's numbers of times when I hear Diane and the phone comes, and I know it's one of my daughters sometimes in this case, and they might be struggling. I slip into the bedroom and get on my knees. Just praying that God will help Diane in counseling my girls or whether it be my son in a way that will be helpful. So prayer is very much a part of this and I don't want to leave without saying your prayers are heard before God. One thing I forgot to mention too, if you have a child and an adult son or daughter and you're not sure that they're saved just by the way that they live, then you evangelize them and you treat them as unsaved and don't you expect them to live a moral, clean life if you're not sure they're even saved. You evangelize them. Remember what it says in 2 Peter 3, 7 that's been referenced in some of our preaching. He rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral. And one thing I've learned, which gives me hope sometimes if a son or daughter isn't in that place, if they are in a place they shouldn't be, and they're uncomfortable there, rejoice. What alarms me is if they're living there and they're totally comfortable. But again, let's evangelize our kids when we're not sure where they're at. Just several other statements, and Diane, stay up here in case you want to comment on, on uh, several things. It says, on the other hand, if they are still dependent on us, whether they live at home or not, we have both the right and the responsibility to expect, expect certain things from them as condition of our ongoing support. So I do think that is true if they're living with you. Heirs... Um, there are several errors, and I think they've sort of been referenced. 
The Hebrew word translated honor literally means treat as weighty or significant. Eli's sin was that he treated his sons as more weighty or important than the Lord. Eli was like many parents today who observed the sins and weaknesses of their wayward sons and daughters and failed to act. If they're with you, you can't live, you can't allow a son or daughter live in your house immorally. That you cannot do as a parent. So you do have to step in at times and address that. Several other things, um, if we continually step in to protect our children from the consequences of their wrong choices, we may be guilty of honoring our children above the Lord by standing between them and the chastisement of the Lord is bringing upon them. We sort of covered that. Here's one that it stood out to me. Nagging will always damage a relationship because it's the fruit. It is not the fruit of humble respect. It is the fruit of pride and impatience. Our children will perceive it as disrespectful because it is disrespectful. Similarly, comparing an adult child with her siblings, the children of our friends or even yourself, you were her age will only serve to alienate there's some great warnings in the book, and that's why I recommend it. They talked about a fine system instead of being nagging. Don't do that. There's better things to do. And uh, so keep that in mind. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to say about nagging or at all. Any... <laughs> not, not for me. I'm talking. <laughs> Okay, uh, there was one time when I was, and, and they make this point in the book, which I think is really great. Um, I was talking to one of our girls one time and kind of reiterating some things. And I had given him this book to read, and I was frustrated at the end of that conversation. And he walked in the other room, picked it up, and came back and read to me something. It basically says, your children know what you believe. Yeah. They grew up in your home. Yeah. You don't have to keep repeating it to them. I was like... Okay, that's true. It was frustrating, but it was good. I needed to hear that. And I think one of the things I wanted to say earlier was um, in reference to talking to adult children, there's a lot more talking to God in prayer. There's listening to God from his word and then listening to your kids and asking open-ended questions before you hand out any instruction. And wait to be asked don't always be, and we're talking about adult children living out of your home. Don't yeah. always be volunteering suggestions for a way they could do something better. Yeah. Sometimes I remember hearing when I would say something and, and not disrespect, dad, we, we sort of know what you believe. This was great help to me because I didn't want to nag, but I was at times and I stopped doing that hopefully more than anyway. That's a great, great point. I love this part. It says, as we've been observing families over the past three decades, there is one quality that seems to be common in the closest and most successful families. They have fun together. Even if there are disagreements and disappointments, they love each other deeply and enjoy being together. Parenting isn't just about molding your child through discipline. The Lord wants us to enjoy our families Adult children can be a lot of fun. And I do, I mean, I hope you strive for that. Play games, go out on outings, family vacations together, celebrate holidays together, laugh together. 
I've been surprised by how much my adult sons still want to spend time with us, playing board games, going to concerts, or just talking. Sometimes I've been so busy with all my duties that I fail to appreciate and enjoy my kids as much as I should. And I hope that you strive to do that. We do try to do that with our kids. I even had a baseball game this last summer, and it was we had a great time. I mean, Diane and the daughters and daughter-in-law sang the national anthem. <laughs> Stephen announced all of the players and he gave, it was so hilarious. And then we played the game. Pat was there for a little while. He did a great job, hit a few home runs. But at the end, at the end, I was the last guy up. I was hoping to hit the long ball to win the game. My grandson was pitching and he threw the pitch and I swung on it and I missed. I went down to one knee. I was so disgraced, I kept falling down on the ground, and I think I even pounded the ground. <laughs> My grandsons were jumping for joy. They won the game. I was like Aaron Judd. I just struck out, missed the whole game. But it'll probably be something that they always remember. I'm hoping the next time I win. <laughs> One other thing, team concept, we recommend that no financial help be offered without both parents being in agreement. Diane and I have tried to do that throughout our parenting, and I think that is very, very important. Encouraging environment, even though they're adults, they still care about what you think and long for your approval. They do. And I pray that in the right way that you would give that. In fact, there's a... Instead of looking for the ways in which our kids fail, we need to become grace detectives. We need to look for evidence, even faint glimmers of God's grace in their lives. I have a minute left. What would you like to say? I think that that was a really great point. You know, when when they're growing up and you focus so much, so much on what they shouldn't do and what they should do, and sometimes we fail to just say, I'm really proud of the way you handled that. I'm so thankful for you. Um, just in the last month, I said that to our daughters on different topics, but just I'm really proud of the way you handled that as an adult. It's just so encouraging to me. and. They texted each other about it, and I thought, and they were like, hey, guess what mom said to me? And I was like, happy and very convicted. Is it such a rarity that I say something like that? And it made me want to be more aware and more encouraging to them and say, I see you following the Lord with your whole heart. I see when it's hard, and I'm so thankful that you're doing that. And I want to keep encouraging them in that way. I thought of just one other thing as we close here, financial responsibility. <laughs> All of my kids are really financially responsible. I don't think I went about teaching it the right way. I'm just trying to say, you don't all, I mean, there were so many no's in all of those things, and they just said, well, we're just scared to go into debt. <laughs> you know? Again, I don't think I taught it right, but God in his grace seemed to have formed something in them where they wanted to be financially responsible. Again, there's no great answer to all of this, but I would end 
just by bringing back to this part. We do want to labor to have great families and do what we can, but that is not the Great Commission. We want to bring people into the eternal family. That needs to be there in all of our lives. We may do it differently. I hope we can do it as a family. But you cannot. Your family is not going to last forever. Let's try and bring people into the eternal family. With that, we'll pray.